Hi, this is Jimmy. On today's episode of Theocast, we are able and blessed to sit around the same table and discuss and meet with our old friend, Pietism. The other night, the boys, we were discussing in John's living room how pietism dies a very slow and painful death and the damage it can cause to our assurance and what we see when we look at ourselves in Christ. And so we discuss kind of the the slow and painful death of pietism and how it can harm us. And then in the members podcast, we get a little bit more punchy and we talk about the dangers of pietism as it relates to the gathered saints in the local church and the damage that it can cause. We hope this conversation is beneficial to you as it was to us, and we look forward to you listening. A simple way for you to help support Theocast and join the Reformation is by shopping at Amazon. That's right. Everything that you purchase there, they will take a percentage of it and donate it to our ministry. All you have to do is go to smile.amazon.com and then search for Theocast Inc. and choose us as the supporting donation. To learn more about this and other ways of supporting us, you can go to theocast.org slash give. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed perspective. Your hosts today are Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina, Jimmy Bueller, pastor of Christ Community Church in Wilmer, Minnesota, and I am John Moffat, pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Well, gentlemen, we are finishing up uh, three days together, recording, prepping for some new material that's coming out, so we're excited about that. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but we really want to hear from Justin Perdue, I don't even and we we just threw this on him, and so he's going to talk about his pro con. Yeah, we're in the same room right now, which yeah. is very which rare. is very rare, very rare. So and that could be a pro. I think it's a pro. We're not it's able to record this video, so we're sorry you can't see it, but it is that's definitely a con. funny. That's yeah. a con. That's a con. We're having sure. a good time. We're having yeah. a good time. We're at the slap happy stage. We of are our time together. Yeah, we yeah. recorded like six hours worth of stuff right now. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you guys get a two pro cons, two for the price of one today. Oh, one pro. No, one on. pro is that we're together. Oh, mm-hmm. listen. A to con him. is that we're about to depart. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, there we well, go. But happy. I've been thinking about deep, deep spiritual theological matters. I've been thinking about life and here it is, love and other mysteries in recent days. And I'm looking right now at a bag of peanut butter M and M's. So I am for M and M's. That's a that's a pro. I'm for M and M's. Absolutely. I like a number of the varieties, but. When I go to the candy aisle, which I don't do all that often, but when I do go to the candy aisle and I see that there are now like 14 different options. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot of M&M. going on That might be an understatement. It's, yeah. it's, it's mildly overwhelming. Yeah. You know, I'm like a kid at Disney World and I'm like, what do I do with this? But then there are some varieties of M&Ms and I look at it and I'm just like, I, I have less than zero interest in this. Mm. So that's sort of my con. So what's, Is it's like, well, could, yeah. we just, could we just calm down for a moment? <laughs> and just do like the real classic varieties of M&M's. Like yeah. give me three choices. Okay. Yeah. Well, now now hold on. There's only 3 I eat. For the triune God we serve. Yeah, there's know. only there's only 3 I eat. If you say that you eat plain M&M's, I'm going to walk out this room right now. I eat plain M&M's. Okay. I I I will happily eat plain M&M's. <laughs> yeah. Plain. Peanut peanut M&M's. That, those so are here's classic. the order. Here's my order. Peanut okay. m M&M, so the peanut butter M&M's is number 1. Yep. Peanut M&M's is number 2. And then the regs number 3. Dude, specifically the light brown ones. Okay. Say that with peanut butter one. Yeah, peanut butter one. Peanut two. Yeah. Regular three. Yep. Okay. You got it. Listeners, 
I just, do you see what I work with? <laughs> this is why I am the way that I am. We don't even pay you. you <laughs> That's right. You volunteer to be here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Regular M&Ms are terrible. I mean, I just, I was going to come up with an analogy. Hot take. But wow. They, they, this isn't your pro con. I have to cut you off. No, no, no. You listen to me when I'm talking to you. I'm important. <laughs> Oh my gosh! What's, what, I, I can't, yeah, I can't yeah, he's eating M Ms, everybody. Yeah, Pe- peanut M Ms. I mean, it's a protein snack. Am I right, JP? It's a protein snack. Uh, one could say that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to hold back Dave Chappelle references right now. Yeah. Well, you know what trail mix is, right? Oh yeah, trail mix. That's holy. Is M Ms with obstacles? But we even have a bag of stuff upstairs that's called a wholesome medley. Wholesome. To which I renamed a holy mix. The holy mix. Yeah, the holy mix. Because food is righteous or unrighteous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we all know that you are righteous based off of the food that you eat and how you understand it. Thank you, David Zoll. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, I mean, I'm setting a timer up over to (laughs) my right. Remind John's left. We need to get into our topic today. Yeah. So, guys, in in the same way that y'all need to die to your love and affection to regular M&Ms. Mm. We also need to recognize something that we probably haven't discussed in a little bit. Last night in John's living room, we were discussing the slow and painful death of pietism. Mm. And by pietism, how we like to define it here at Theocast, pietism is this extreme focus and concern for what we call the interior of the Christian life. That is the feelings, affections, the things that I do for God and his kingdom. And so pietism has a very intense focus on how I feel for Jesus, Mm -hmm. how I feel when I wake up about Jesus and spiritual things. Mm -hmm. And if you've been listening to us a while now, pietism and our battle against it with this podcast it's something that's always on the back burner, simmer. That's right. Sure. However, we also recognize, and the three of us were talking about this within our own lives and in the context of those we minister to, that pietism dies a very slow and painful death. That's right. Like it is very, very difficult to walk away to a pietistic approach to Christian to, to the Christian life. That's right. And so that is what we're going to talk about today. And so I just want to throw it out to you guys to help flesh this out. Why does pietism seem to die very slow and very painfully? Well, first of all, it's not like we're talking about a diet or some other temporal matter of our life that has zero significance at the end of it when you die. What pietism does is it trains your brain to think about eternal matters and where you stand with them. So it it's a serious matter, and pietism is always looking at the end, which is your eternity with God, and looking at the journey of how you get there. That's right. That's what it's always looking at. So if you, from the moment that you are born, are being trained to think about your participation in this end goal, which is to be with God, and how you perform well or how you don't perform well is the determining factor of this end goal— this is not something that will die easy, especially if that's how you have learned to think and live your actions or that what you refrain from is all determinant on that. Then when you talk with people, 
which we do, we get emails and we get uh, comments on YouTube and we get comments all over the place where people are wrestling. What about this verse? What about this passage? What about this sermon? What about this book? Because it seems their entire world has been under this canopy of pietism. Sure. And when you pull that person out from underneath the canopy, they feel exposed. They, they, there's no longer safety because in pietism, you when have they're a, disoriented. Yeah. You have a form of control. Yeah. And then you pull them out from underneath that canopy and they feel exposed and out of control. That's right. And it's scary. Sure. Jimmy, you said this already. I'm going to add one or two things to just thoughts about what pietism is. And it's a, a hyper focus on what we should be feeling and a hyper focus on what we should be doing. Yeah. And emotional. Yeah. Required. It's, it's a hyper focus on my feelings about Jesus and the things of God. And it's a hyper focus on my performance and my obedience. How well am I doing at fulfilling my duty? Um, and we've said all this, a lot of this before, excuse me, you know, that pietism tends to just invert the relationship that, you know, of identity and duty. Mm-hmm. And that matters because what we end up doing is we determine whether or not we are legitimately children of God whether or not we are legitimately in Christ based upon what we're doing or not doing, or based on what I, we're feeling or not feeling. And can I interject and dare sure. I say, are we deserving right, of right. this relationship? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and here, here's the thing, guys. I think like so many other things in life, the switch doesn't happen immediately. It's the purpose of this episode. It, it's kind of like a detox season that people have to go through where you have to reprogram the way you think and the way you operate and the way you look at the Christian life. And it's hard for us. Why? Because naturally, pietism just it jives with the way, we, the way we operate. So we may talk more about this in a minute, but we, we all have a legal spirit. Yeah, It's as natural to us as breathing, where we think about obedience in certain ways. We're like, well, the motivations for obedience must be merit. Or they must be the escape of punishment. What else yeah. could there be? Or keeping myself in. Sure. And and we naturally operate on a law economy. Like I need to, I need to do certain things in order that I might receive certain things. And so we're working against all of that stuff. And I think that's why it takes a long time. And that's why pietism dies a slow and painful death. Yeah. Yeah. But for those of you listening. If you are in the United States, here's what we, we need to remember. And we've said this before, and we've written about it before. That American Christianity, American evangelical Christianity, is pietistic. I mean, I think it's fair that we at say its, that. At its core. Yeah. At its core, it is inherently pietistic. Right. And they so would, if you, They would be just evangelical enough to say that you're in by faith. That's right. Certainly. But pietism then says... You're kept in by works. Right. You're right. perfected. By your own works. Right? Yeah, you're, you're justified by faith, but then in one sense, you almost keep yourself there yeah. through what you're doing or how you're feeling. Because it sounds just right enough. I mean, of course, we're saved by faith alone. Yeah. Or what's worse, if you're not doing enough or you're not feeling the right things, then you're maybe just not legit. Right. So if we're going to use some terminology here, talking about justification, being declared righteous in God's sight, not based off of your own works or merits, but solely based off of the works and merits of Christ— Applied to you by grace through faith. Given the label, but not the substance. Right. Sanctification, the process by which God employs in our lives to conform us further into the image of Christ. What happens in pietism is there is an intense focus on the latter. 
that justification is what gets you in. But the manner by which you are sanctified or how far you are sanctified is how you stay in the game. And so sanctification, another term here, becomes synergistic. God does his part, and I do my part. This is a pietistic approach to the Christian life. Exactly right. Right. God gives me grace, and I need to cooperate with said grace in order to maintain maintain my righteous status before God. Now, guys, what sorts of things does that mindset do to the average everyday Christian? Yeah, you begin to look at um, well, let's let's put it this way: we look for requirements that are achievable, and we can do that through what we what we refrain from, and what we can find ourselves disciplined in. Right. So I'm going to refrain from particular actions that are clearly wrong, but we miss the whole letter of the law, which is why we go after Pietism all the time. Jesus doesn't come in and say don't steal; he says don't envy. He doesn't say don't kill; he says don't hate. He doesn't say don't have relationships outside of your marriage; he says don't lust. Right. So. You're guilty, period. Yeah. How measurable is that? Right. And then we think, okay, greater effort will produce greater righteousness, right? And then when you're told that doesn't work, which a lot of you have felt this, like, okay, my status in Christ is, it is done with it's in Christ. What I like to call this stage of leaving pietism, and it's this, Jimmy has been using the slow and painful death. The reason it's slow and painful death is that you have what's called phantom fear, where hmm. You are walking away from pietism, but then all of a sudden you have that, that, that midnight fear that you wake up and your heart is pounding and thinking, well, wait a minute, what if I didn't do enough yesterday? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what if I really did prove that I'm not God's child because, because of whatever list that you put in there? Yeah. That's a phantom fear exactly right. because right. the gospel comes in and says Christ is enough. Yep. Pietism comes in and says, no, there's still some left for you. That's right. right. And, and pietism will say, not only is there still something left for you, pietism might even say, yeah, Christ is enough, but you must do these things in order to prove that you're in him. Yeah. yeah. Or you must right. do these things in order to prove that you actually believe that. Right. Or that you actually love him or that you actually know him or whatever yeah. it may be. Right. There's this constant project of having to prove oneself. That's right. You know, in pietism. And, and that's why we'll refer to it often as bondage and slavery and not freedom and not rest. It's not restful. Because like, how could a person ever rest under that kind of a schema and framework? Yeah. One thing that I think is confusing for many. So the language even of the New Testament, guys, we'll, we'll see things like this. We have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. That's right. We have been justified. We are being sanctified. We will be glorified. But what we do with our human brains because of how we think, and this is normal and because we're finite and we live in time and space and everything like that, we think that something that is in the future must mean that there is some either level of doubt or uncertainty about it, right? Because it hasn't happened yet. So how could it be certain? Or we assume because it's in the future, there must be something left to do, right? So I think this is, it just, it blows our brains up because it's like, how could something in the future already be accomplished and already be over and already be done? I must have to do something to assure myself of that future reality. And then the preaching, the teaching, the writing that we're all exposed to only reinforces those assumptions. Yeah, to prove yourself theology. 
right? We just got done doing a series, uh, introductory series on covenant theology. And the reason why this theology is so important is that the covenant of grace is what we call an unconditional promise. It's an unconditional covenant, meaning that God is the one who does all of the work, and those who are the elect who receive it by grace receive it unconditionally. So if you are a child of God, there is no condition by which you must receive that or maintain it. And that is very hard to hear because we hear verses like, well, prove yourself, examine yourself yeah. if you're of the faith. That's right. Um, it's fruit language, so it's like, you better be producing fruit. And we hear this with, fruit check. without it, without context and without what's going, you know, explaining what's going on in the context. And that's where you you can feel that, oh, wait a minute, the reason why I'm not with God in heaven right now is that he's left me here to prove which is insane to me, to prove that God truly has saved me. Like, I need to prove to God that I'm saved, which is uh, to think that God doesn't know his own. That's right. Yeah, make sure make sure it counts. So a couple things I want to say. Pietism, I believe, and I think we would all agree, pietism within the realm of the Christian life constantly moves the goalposts. Mm. It constantly moves the goal that... As soon as you are in this sermon series and the application is greater this or better that mm-hmm. or more affections around this, yeah. you move on to the next series and it's a new thing. Yeah, it's it's Linus and Lucy in the football, you know, in, in Charlie Brown. <laughs> exactly. It really is. Yeah, you run up with all <laughs> your picture. Run it up is. with all your gumption. You go to kick yeah. it and, and the and ball then, is moved. And then boom, and I'm and I'm on my backside. You're exactly right. And you know? and you're you're almost depressed. Yeah, you're I'd say you often are. Yeah. Discouraged. Exactly right. Yeah. That's it's good. Um, another thing I would say, I think the reason why pietism dies a slow and painful death is essentially like this. So uh, I, I think we have some listeners in, in the UK, mm-hmm. and our, our dear brethren over there, they drive on the wrong side, I mean, the other side of the road. <laughs> okay. So imagine moving to the UK if you're in the States or vice versa. You have to completely switch everything that you are used to. Like right turns are now treated like left turns and left turns are now treated like right turns. And what side is the passenger car? I mean, I would imagine for those of you who are listening, who have had this experience, as you approach your new vehicle in your new country, you got to the wrong side every time. Pietism is like that. When you are coming out of it, you have a very clear set pattern, roles, behaviors. It's almost like a reward system. Like you have trained your brain that if I do this spiritual activity to this level, I will receive this kind of reward. If I have my quiet time devotionals to this degree and have these sorts of feelings, today will go well for me. And if I do not, God will be punitive towards me, or God is backing away from me, backing out of his commitment. Like we, we often think that it's like a mirror image with God, that as I back away from God, he backs away from me. That's right. And that is, that is what a pietistic brain teaches. And so, again, to, to reemphasize, the reason why it's a slow and painful death is because you are relearning how to drive a vehicle that you've been in before, mm-hmm. which is the Christian life. But it's completely on a different side. Yeah. Well, people, to use that color analogy, people email us all the time, and they're like, okay, wait, I've always thought this button was for the headlights. You're telling me it's the gas? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've always thought this was to turn on the radio. You're saying it's the heat? Yeah, exactly. And, and it feels that absurd to them when they hear this. A good example of this is the armor of God. 
People think, oh, see, if I don't put on God's armor, I'm now vulnerable. And they assume the armor is action, whether it's prayer, whether it's devotion, um, whether it's meditation. And if you'll pay attention to the armor of God, they are all centered around Christ, Mm -hmm. the work of Christ. And our one thing that we are told to do is to put faith Mm -hmm. in Christ. And in doing so, what Paul is saying in in the armor of God, he's saying that is what becomes our protection. Our faith in Christ, Christ becomes our protection. Pietism tells you your performance becomes your protection. We're excited to announce that we have a new free ebook available at our website called Faith Versus Faithfulness, a primer on rest. And we, the host, put this together to explain the difference between emphasizing one's faith in Christ versus emphasizing one's faithfulness to Christ, and how one leads to rest and how the other often to a lack of assurance. And you can get this at theocast.org slash primer. And if you've been encouraged by what you've been hearing at Theocast, we'd ask you to help partner with us. You can do that by joining our Total Access membership. That's our monthly membership that gives you access to all of our material that we've produced over the last four years, or simply by donating to our ministry. And you can do that by going to our website, theocast.org. We hope that you enjoy the rest of the conversation. Right. I mean, even... Thinking more about Ephesians chapter six and the armor of God, the emphasis, like if you ever hear a sermon preached on Ephesians six or sermons preached, the emphasis is on us. That's right. So th- this is a great sort of expose on Pietistic thinking, Ephesians chapter six verses ten to twenty, because the sermons preached about the armor of God are all about us and how we are going about the putting on of the armor. Mm-hmm. That is the complete emphasis. Whereas what is the emphasis of Paul in describing the armor itself? Like you said, it's the belt of truth. Well, what is that? I mean, it's, it's clearly Christ God's truth, truth for and us. Christ's truth for us. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, you know, the breastplate guards us from mortal injury. Well, breastplate of what righteousness and whose righteousness? Yours? No. No, it's, it's the righteousness of Christ. It's not about your holiness. It's about Christ's righteousness for you. Having... As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by what? The gospel of peace. So it's like the what we're standing on is our our performance? No. What we're standing on is the gospel. It's the good news of Christ. We could go on and on and on. And then finally, the, the shield of faith. Not, not the shield of obedience or the shield of works. It's the shield of faith. Trust in Christ. That's right. Which is, a, if you have never heard that, most likely you've grown up in a pietistic context. I mean, we yeah. just told you that your blinker is the gas well, pedal. Lastly, yeah. the, the the helmet of salvation, not that you will accomplish, but that's been accomplished for you, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I mean, it's just, it's it's bananas that we would go to that text can, and, can and make just, it about us. Right. Can I add one thing? What are the first three chapters of Ephesians about? God's work toward His people uh, throughout redemptive history. Chosen before the foundation of the world in yeah. Christ, sealed by the Holy Spirit, redeemed by Jesus, by grace you've been saved through faith. And now he's going to turn it on his head and say it's all about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because what pietism wants to do is say that, see this work that God has begun before the ages began? You need to accomplish this. You need to finish this. Well, And and it's not, we're not saying, don't look at Ephesians 6 and think, well, that has nothing to say to me. No, but look at Ephesians 6 and say, because... I have been chosen by God because I've been redeemed by Christ, because I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, because God has made me alive with Jesus. Now this is this is 
my protection. This is my surety. This is my safety. This is my rock. This is what will protect me from the enemy. And this is what will protect me from doubts and fears and attacks of all kinds. Justin and I, uh, we stayed, we're here in Nashville. We stayed with one of John's dearest church members. Uh, Curtis, shout out. Thank you for your hospitality. Thank you, bro. And, uh, and for the conversation we, this morning. Yeah, we were having a conversation this morning that, because I, I've seen it on Twitter and I've seen it in some blogs where people want to come at us at Theocast and say, these guys hate the Bible. Like these guys hate that people read their Bible. They don't want Christians to read their Bible. And that one is a straw man. Two, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Three, this is the conversation we were having with Curtis this morning, that it's not that we don't tell people, hey, read your Bible. I mean, certainly, how blessed we are in this day. Read your Bible. Enjoy it. But what we say and what we mean is we do not read the Scriptures in a personal sense to generate God's affections for us, but rather... Or protection or blessing. That's right. We read the Scriptures because it helps us to create an awareness uh-huh. of God's pre-existing affections for us. Amen. And as Curtis so wonderfully said this morning, it benefits right. those that we live life right. with in the context of the local church. Right. And in one sense, you're reading your Bible for the good of your neighbor. Exactly right. And the good of your brother and sister. And yet you're, you're going to Scripture and reading it not because it's a part of a personal improvement plan. Yeah. You are going to Scripture to see something else, to be reminded anew of God and his faithfulness to you, and God, be reminded of God and what he has done for you, to be reminded of Christ and his sufficiency for you, to be reminded that Jesus will never lose you, you know, and to think, like we've just done this series on covenant theology, as has been mentioned multiple times at this point, to go to Scripture and see the certainty of your salvation. You know, that's how we're, we go to be edified. That's right. We go to be edified in particular in Christ. As we look to the Word. Yeah. Pietism highly individualizes everything. Everything is about you and God. It's as if you're an only child. That's true. You and God. Well, actually, the New Testament, when it comes down to the interaction between you and Scripture, there's two commands given to the local church over and over and over again. And these are the two ones. Faithfully preach the Word in season and out. This is to the preachers and teachers of God's Word. You know what the receivers of God's Word is to do with that? Consider how to build one another on love and good works. Take, you know what they did in Acts? As soon as they would receive God's word, they went into the homes and they talked about the apostles' teachings and they encouraged it. What we do with scripture is, oh, it's this is me and God time. What the Bible does, it says, take this holy word and use it to build each other up, not yourself. As a matter of fact, let's just stay in Ephesians. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, when the body functions the way it's designed to function by the Holy Spirit, then it builds itself up in love. Yeah. Nowhere in Scripture does it say your personal Bible reading is a guarantee to build you up in love. That's right. I'm just sorry. It doesn't say that. Yeah, well, and think about all those early Christians with their own personal parchments. <laughs> they didn't exist. Yeah, exactly. Going home and having personal parchment time. I mean, I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's not a thing. It's not a thing. Personal parchment time. Um, but as, as we said, we, we are unbelievably blessed in our day and age to have the Bible in reliable translations. Of course. Beautifully made and crafted with fine leathers and paper and ribbons and whatnot. So by all means, we encourage, dare I say, at Theocast, you can, you can, you can bank on this. We encourage people to read you Scripture. You are free to read your yes. Bible. Yes. Go for it. 
But what we're saying is we read it with a different mindset. Remove the chains. That's right. Remove the chains. Like it is a gift. It is a gift that cannot produce guilt. Why? Because it is the gift that keeps giving you the joy of realizing that what God has done for you in redemptive history through Christ is secure. And as you read that and become more acquainted with God's grace that you look to in faith, that benefits those around you. And I will tell you that Scripture always promises the church is the means by which you grow, through the means, right? The public preaching of right. God's Word, the sacrament, and prayer. Right. And what we do is we flip that, and we prioritize our personal Bible readings. And I will tell you that many feel guilty because, man, I've gone five days, and I've just, it's been crazy. I've had this emergency and that, and I haven't spent any time in the Word. My, I'll stop them and say, oh, but are you going to receive the means this week? Yeah. Because if you are, take heart. You shall be encouraged. Two thoughts. One, to pick up on what you guys have been saying. Said it before, needs to be repeated. In pietism, and that just means in evangelicalism, we think that the real stuff of the Christian life happens when we're by ourselves. Because again, we think this is is an individual pursuit. It's a, it's a project of personal improvement. That's when and you so, get to prove it. And so the real stuff happens when I'm by myself. You know, I'm alone with the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Bible and, and in my prayer closet or whatever it may be. And those things are all good. They're fine. Rightly understood. Rightly understood. But looking at the New Testament, it's impossible to deny that the real stuff of the Christian life happens when we're together, when we're gathered, That's when right. we're assembled. And... It is. It, you, you alluded to this, Jimmy, about parchment time and things. Christians did not have their own Bibles for 1,600 years, I mean, yeah. of the church's existence. And so clearly, even when the New Testament talks about the ministry of the Word, it is talking about a corporate context and a corporate reality where we sit under the Word and we read the Word and we understand the Word and grow together as a result of the ministry of the Word to us. Those poor fools. For 1,600 years, how did they do it? How did they grow? Yeah. They, they grew through the ordinary means, and they grew, I trust, through the fellowship of the saints, even, even during the week. If we're going to talk about our life, quote-unquote, Monday to Saturday, well, the corporate reality of the Lord's Day drives that. That's right. And so we scatter from the corporate gathering, and then, yeah, we, we go about loving our families and, and being good employees and all these things. But then even in our interaction with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, I, we're reminding one another of what the Word of God has revealed, namely that Christ is our salvation. Well, and so we're a little punchy right now, but frankly, sometimes pietism, it sounds really, really nice. It can sound very, very gracious. She's the ego. Yeah. I mean, pietism can sound very, very nice because it could be the 10 steps to become a better husband. Hmm. Well, who doesn't want to do that? Exactly. Or the 10 steps to become a better parent. Well, who doesn't want to do that? Yeah. I mean, but frankly... Many times that stuff continually falls for falls right. short. Yeah, pietism makes a lot of promises it cannot fulfill. That's because, exactly right. Right. This is why in when Paul says in, in Philippians that it's not only been granted to you to, to believe, but also to suffer for our, for his sake. Christianity is not about the improvement of your life. It's actually about the death of your life. And the only way that you can find true joy and be sustained while we await our final hope is to be reminded of the hope that is in Christ. And, you know, I have, I had, we've had people in, in our congregation recently that have lost loved ones through cancer. And I mean, there's, am I going to go up and offer them and just say, well, read your Bible more and all You'll will feel be better. well? Yeah. 
No, this is why Paul says we weep with those who are weeping, and we long for the day of Christ's yeah. return, because then all will be made right. But now we look to Christ as our hope. We right. cannot look to anything that would cause us to be morally better or improve our circumstances, because there's a long history, and I think Scripture is pretty clear. And so going back to Jimmy's analogy of the slow death, it is really hard to be peeling back these layers that you have just it's like habits. You know, let's just put it a different way. The habits of pietism. It's really hard to lead, to, to, to get rid of those habits. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I'm just going to throw this in here. I think a great theme song for pietism, a theme hymn. I come to the garden alone. <laughs> oh, boy. I mentioned this this morning Which when we were talking with Jesus Curtis. Name. Yeah. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the son of God discloses. And then we get this. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there. None other has ever known. Really? Really. (laughs) None other has ever had a relationship with Christ like you do. And, but that think about how we speak in evangelicalism. It's, it's all about, this utterly unique relationship that you by yourself have with Christ. Mm, yeah. Now, Christ died personally for every one of his sheep, no doubt. And he, he died. He saves you individually. He, he saves you individually and he saves you to a people. He saved us. Right. He died for us and we are his, right? And so we do have a very personal relationship to him, but it is not private like this. Exactly. It's, it's so unhelpful to talk in these terms because this makes it seem that what really matters is when my, I'm, I'm in the garden by myself and it's just me and Jesus and I'm meditating and I'm, and I'm, I'm listening for his still small voice. It's like, no, brother, sister, what you need is to gather with the other sheep, with the other saints and sit under the preached word and come to the table to have that preached to you. Here's what Christ has done for you, and sing and pray together. I mean, this is this is how Christ ministers to His people. Most pointedly, it's promised in the New Testament. Yeah, I mean, how many times have we have we stood in a corporate worship gathering, and the the worship leader says, you know, this time is just between you and the Lord. (laughs) Really, what what is that? What What do you mean? Then why am I here? That's right. Why can't I just listen to these tunes in my car? I mean, frankly, that would save some gas money and some time. It's like what I think what we're told in the New Testament is to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. Yeah. yeah. So that we might be built up. That's you know, right. an email we Weird. never get here at Theocast is like, oh, you guys are my church because you can't listen. We won't, we won't allow that. No. You, you can't listen to Theocast and not feel like, oh, yeah, I think I'm. Or you guys are my pastors. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, if you're members of our respective churches, we are. Sure. Yeah. And that's not meant to be a slight to anybody. No, but it's just to help us understand that God has designed his covenant people to be with each other in the community. Right. Okay. Another thought here. Give it to us. We've alluded to this already. Where we lose our senses in evangelicalism is when it comes to the question of sanctification. Goodness. Right. So this why why does pietism die a slow and painful death? Well, a lot of it really comes down to this issue of sanctification and how we think about it. And we are so prone to think that not only is our sanctification uncertain, which that's not biblical, we're promised that it will happen. We'll be conformed to Christ's image. All those whom have been justified will be sanctified. Christ has perfected for all time all those who are being sanctified. I mean, we could cite many passages, Mm -hmm. but we think that sanctification has everything to do with our effort 
how we are processing things and what we plan for ourselves and then what we go about doing for ourselves. We've been talking, talking about the living room conversation last night, and we were talking about this the other night at dinner. How are we sanctified in the faith and what is real sanctification? A lot of it is we are shown more and more the depth of our weakness and the depth of our inadequacy and insufficiency, but we are driven anew over and over again to the sufficiency and the strength, the power, the mercy, and the grace of Christ. And we are depending upon him more and more. That's part of it. But then how does it even happen often? It happens through trial and suffering and calamity that we never plan and that we would never ask for, nor do we sign up for it. It happens to us. And the marvel and the miracle of that is that we are actually grown through suffering. Mm. We don't punt the faith. We don't leave Christ. We stay, we trust him, and we grow. Well, that's because God is doing it. That's right. Yeah. You know, so the way we talk about sanctification, it just doesn't square with Scripture, and it no. makes no sense that I've got to do this. No, God does it. That's right. Paul says, when I am yeah. weak, then I am strong. But yeah. we don't think that way. That's no. right. Yeah, Philippians says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. But what, Word. let me retranslate that in pietism. Uh, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, if you do your best, will come to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you yeah. are faithful enough. That's right. If you do your part. That's yeah. right. Do your part. Which he then goes on to say, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of the confirmation right. of the gospel. Punchy, and I'm I'm sorry, but I'm not. <laughs> he He will bring a good work to completion in you as long as you don't prove yourself to be an unbeliever. That's right. Wow. Unfaithful. Yeah. Well, and and again, I think wow. we yeah. falsely we create discipline. Self-discipline and sanctification are the same thing. And we equate yeah, that we see them as basically one to one. Yeah. Yeah. Which those who are called of God are called to discipline. And those Certainly. who are called of God are called to sanctify. Like when he says sanctify yourselves, what he means by that, we confuse that word. We confuse the theological term with the action. Because That's right. sanctification mm-hmm. means a setting apart. A set like, apart. Right. So set the apart, attitude of the world apart. Right. and the actions of the world, he says, Hey, listen, you're of God. Separate yourself from that. Yeah. But sanctification unto glorification, that is not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and when we think of like self-discipline or self-control often in a pietistic sense what we mean is we have a rigorous schedule and a rigorous personal holy personal holiness life when in reality i think the new testament talks about hey self-control benefits those around you and i'm not talking about personal holiness life Mm -hmm. what i'm talking about is treat one treat one another love one another in a self-controlled manner word four yeah, Word. I, I mean, look at one another with grace and with patience. James two. Don't don't become don't frustrated show favoritism. Yeah, with the with the it, fellow sinners sure. around you. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. honestly. Well, and it's all language of guys. Here's who Christ is. Here's what He's done for us. Here's who we are in Him. Now, here's how we live together. That's right. That's the tone and, and posture of the Status New Testament. Forward. Here's how the redeem. We just do what the redeem do, guys. That's it. And I, I mean, to to your point. Imperfectly, but we just we're just going to live like the redeemed live, because here's who, that's who we are. So to illustrate the slow and painful death that Pietism dies, you know how you say things to people sometimes, and they look at you like, "Bro, you have lost your ever loving mind." <laughs> that's that's right, right? Yeah, like, like they they cock their it's like, 
uh, come again? Like, did you really just say that uh, with, with like the, with the uh, but 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 yeah? <laughs> so one of the things that I've said to a number of people at CBC mm-hmm. when they come, or maybe they're newer with us, and in particular when I see that people are these individuals are really geeked up about discipleship or mm. are really geeked up about doing things for God. I will, I will say to them in basically these words, your primary ministry in this church and your primary ministry, even before God is to just show up here. What? Just keep coming on Sunday, show up. And people are like, homie, brother, there has to be more to it than that. Exactly. Like, are you kidding me that I just mainly need to concern myself with showing up on Sunday? And I say, yes. You know why? Because that corporate reality on Sunday morning will drive everything else in our Christian life. It will propel us forward. It, it drives the private, that corporate reality. It drives your private life, you know, in your family life and your work life, et cetera. And so, yes, just keep coming. Because this is how you're going to be edified. This is how you're going to learn and grow. And this is how you're going to be pointed to Christ over and over and over again. This is how you're going to experience the fellowship of the saints. And it will drive everything else. So, yes, just come. Galatians, when he says, bear ye one another burdens, you can't have your burden carried if you don't come. Yeah. Right? So we come together so that those struggles and those trials and those burdens, we carry them together. And then when we're entrapped in sin, Galatians 6, 1, we, we have the loving, yeah. kind, gracious brothers who come and sisters who pull us out of our because we're not capable. I think this is what saddens my heart about pietism, is that people assume they have the capacity to pull themselves out of sin. They just need to try hard enough. Well, why would Paul tell someone if they're trapped, enslaved into it, to go free them from it? Yeah. Therefore, no, this Christian life is not designed to be lived alone. Yeah. So... As we kind of head into the members podcast, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this on the table. As always. As always. So we're, we're kind of talking that at the individual level, how, how pietism dies a slow and painful death. Mm-hmm. Let me just ask you guys this question, and then, John, I think you can close this out. Yeah. What I want to talk about, or the question I'm going to throw out to you is this. How does pietism destroy a local church? <laughs> We need a whole episode for that. <laughs> I can't do that just in one. Wow. Okay. We're going there. Yeah. Meet us there. <laughs> well, thank you for listening. We we um, we we got a little excited here, and I think mostly because we ourselves feel the pain of Pietism dying daily in us. It's and yeah, exactly. It's, it's dying real, in us, right? Yeah. It's a real thing where we are putting off the flesh, we're putting off pride, we're putting off arrogancy, where we think God is approval of our lives. Um, God has never approved one of our sermons, meaning mm-hmm. that it's it's acceptable in his mm-hmm. eyes. Uh, God has never approved one of our righteous acts in and of themselves. And I know that's mind-blowing for people. The only reason we could ever be accepted in the eyes of God is because of Christ and Christ alone yeah. on our behalf. Yeah, and it, it's good for the listener to understand that we have not arrived. Like, What's we, that? <laughs> yeah. What is arrival? It's called glorification. Yeah, we could talk about the arrival fallacy, but we we have not arrived. We are still men who are learning what it is to rest in Christ, and we are men who are still battling against our own pietism. That's right. I mean, absolutely. And so, one of the reasons we get excited is because we're talking to each other, mm-hmm. and we're reminding one another of what's true and That's of right. what Christ has done. And yep. so, if you hear 
passion or emotion or excitement in our voices, it's because this stuff is landing on us too. Yeah, we deal with it every day. We deal with it in our own churches, in our own lives, in my own heart, and even really through Theocast, we hear it constantly. So, well, thank you for listening. If this is your first time listening, we want to encourage you to come over and participate with us in the members podcast. This is really the easiest way for me to say this. These are our supporters. These are the people who join in and, and help Theocast continue through all the different books and media and education material that we put out. So thank you for that. You can go to our website, theocast.org, to join us there. We'll see you in the members' podcast.